Bridge the City. Welcome to Bridge the City, a podcast recorded in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. My name is Benjamin Rangel. And I'm Kyle Hagee. And we are advocates for progress. Our mission is to bridge together people, resources, and ideas. Today, we have what we at Bridge the City call a Milwaukee talkie. So typically, our full-length episodes will be themed on particular subsystems that make up a city, and these will include excerpts from a variety of interviews with leaders in the field. As we edit our first one on education, we're proud to give you our Milwaukee Talkie, which is a more conversational, full-length interview. Our first one here is with Dr. Darian Driver, the superintendent of Milwaukee Public Schools. She has been a leader in our city and one of the biggest advocates for progress we know. Here she is. I have the privilege and the honor to serve as the proud superintendent for Milwaukee Public Schools, and I'm into my fourth year now as superintendent, and uh, one of the things that I I love most about this position is that I feel I have the opportunity to affect change for 80,000 kids every day, um, for our staff. Everything that we do here is helping to build a better Milwaukee. I love the fact that collective impact is our way of doing business and that we've been able to partner with so many different agencies locally and nationally uh, to help improve student achievement. The issues that we have in Milwaukee are significant. There are enough people now focused on what is working and what can we do together to help it uh, continue and improve at a faster rate that real change is happening. Lasting change is possible. Now that is a powerful opening statement by the superintendent. Almost sounding like a political speech. Is Dr. Driver planning on staying as superintendent or are we going to see her in the White House? I love uh, being able to do this work and I can't really see myself doing anything else right now. We are really fortunate that the superintendent plans on sticking around, but we do have the Dr. Driver 2020 stickers ready, just in case. So why... You're saying you can't see yourself doing anything else but kind of work in the education field? Oh, What yeah, got you into yeah. that field in the first place? Yeah, see, I've wanted to be a teacher since I can remember. Mm-hmm. Um, I was about six in the first grade, and yeah. my grandmother was a teacher. In our family, education has always been the top priority. I believe it's the great equalizer. My parents and my grandparents attended segregated schools in Virginia and North Carolina, and our schools have been such a battleground for social change in our country. I would say that schools have seen the, the very best of people and the very worst of people. And through all of that, uh, it was instilled in me from birth, really, that education is the way forward. It is the way out of any situation. And um, I think regardless of race, class, your gender, what your native language is, that an education really is the key to being successful in all aspects of life. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I've never been able to see myself doing anything else. Uh, I remember my parents would always say, because my sister's a doctor, and so they would I'm always sorry, say, yeah. I am. Yeah, Thank you, Benjamin. <laughs> all right. I am. Um, and she's a doctor of medicine. And so, uh, you know, we were growing up. It was always, she said, I will, I'll deliver them and you can teach them. But uh, my parents would always say, well, you sure you want to be a teacher? You can do so many other things. Mm-hmm. But for me, I, I just felt like education is really why I'm sitting here. And I want other people to be able to benefit from that as well. So knowing that education was a route, How did Dr. Driver go from teacher to superintendent, and what lessons did she take away from her time in Detroit? It's been quite a journey. I thought I would always be a teacher, and when I was teaching in Detroit, it was in the early 2000s, right at the time when the big three car industry really 
started to um, you know crumble and started to lose so much money and seeing what happens when the industry you know the the total a, a city's infrastructure is built around one key industry and seeing how that collapsed uh, and the impact that that had on neighborhoods how that affected families and how it affected schools yeah. and so Detroit public schools fell into hard times uh, because the city fell into hard times and so you know we lost hundreds of students at our school um, teachers started getting laid off and I realized you know, it's so much bigger than what's happening in a classroom. Schools are part of a larger ecosystem, and the only way that I could really get in a position to affect change was to become a superintendent. So uh, that's what led me to going to the Urban Superintendents Program at Harvard, and that's why I'm here now. Harvard is officially the first Ivy League school to get a Bridge to City interview. Quite the honor. Princeton, Yale, Brown, the rest of you, just so you know, our phone lines are open, so you still have time to catch up. So although we are featuring the city of Milwaukee here and the challenges discussed are specific to our city, most are not unique to Milwaukee. Dr. Driver's experience in a variety of other places only reinforces Milwaukee's place as an important city. Our challenges are the challenges of Detroit, Cleveland, Pittsburgh, and so on. So I've lived now in Detroit, Boston, Atlanta, Philadelphia, Pittsburgh, Jackson, Virginia Beach. Unfortunately, Milwaukee's challenges with segregation, hyper-segregation of race and class um, has really limited its ability to grow and be prosperous. Every city segregated. I mean, this unfortunately, every city I've been in is segregated to some extent. But there's still been evidence of upward mobility for every racial group that's in that city, even in Jackson, Mississippi. And so when you come to a place where there you still don't see that across all racial groups, it's really astonishing. Because Milwaukee is so insular, like people are born here and they grow up here and they, they, they work here. So you don't have, you know, people kind of stop at Chicago that has more of an international feel mm-hmm. or even the Twin Cities. Um, but we lose that in Milwaukee for some reason. And so I think it's kept us from really growing to our full potential. We focus a lot on division and competition and separation. And so I see that in a number of different industries, not just education, but if you were to look even at Almost for every, if you look at business, there's a chamber of commerce, there's the ethnic chamber of commerces, and then there's the Greater Milwaukee Committee. Mm-hmm. You know, you look at faith-based groups, there's tons of different, uh, you know, organizations of different pastors. Obviously, with education, you have choice, you have public, and you have charter schools. We allow those separations to divide us instead of finding ways to come together. I think we've come a long way in the time that I've been here, but historically, I think we're here now because we have not done that successfully enough. And where I struggle as an educator in Milwaukee is I want my children to see education as a worthwhile investment. And unfortunately, there isn't enough real-time evidence that this investment is going to lead to a better life. I want to change our conversation. You know, we're better together. Let's figure out how we can come together. Because we want it, we want Milwaukee to be a better place. You mentioned education as an equalizer, yeah, which is something we've heard often in our mm-hmm. discussions. But interestingly, Dr. Fuller mentioned how education alone isn't a panacea. It's not a mm-hmm. catch-all, and it's not going to fix everyone's life. Instead, there's he mentioned this concept of parallel battle that if you are an advocate in the community, you have to yes fight for uh, equitable education, but mm-hmm. there's all these mm-hmm. other parallel battles. Mm-hmm. And when, when I worked in education, I often felt that once the student left the school, once they were out of my domain, mm-hmm. if I wasn't in the classroom with them, I had very little control over what was happening. Mm-hmm. 
So can you talk a little bit about the role of the school in a child's life beyond a source of education? Mm-hmm. Yeah, for me, my definition of what happens in the classroom has really evolved. I think the classroom is any place where a child is learning. And I get criticized for this, but I embrace that criticism. I do think we have a responsibility for everything that happens in a child's life because schools are supposed to be anchors in the community. These are social institutions where great change has happened in our country. Front and center has the front lines have been um, with education. Um, and you can look at, you know, the the Little Rock Nine and, you know, desegregation and and Little Rock and Ruby Bridges and a number of those different stories. And, you know, there's thousands of stories that have been unwritten about that type of courage and tenacity that it takes to say, not only do I belong here, but I deserve to be able to learn. And that's the tenacity that makes us strong as African Americans. And so when I think about schools and what they can do for people, I refuse to accept that we can't make that change. But that means all these other institutions have to get on board too. So a lot of the work that we're doing with the youth apprenticeships, with the culinary arts, it's taking collective impact and really turning it on its head to some extent because we have people from the community coming in and working side by side with our students. We're not trying to do all of this by ourselves, but I need everyone to understand that we all have a responsibility in making Milwaukee a better place. Dr. Driver's emphasis on collective impact shows how schools, whether intentional or not, are forced to confront the challenges students face outside of the classroom. The connection between schools and policies in healthcare, criminal justice, workforce development, job creation, immigration, and public transportation are inseparable. As such, a school and its administration can either work within this paradigm of intersectionality or remain isolated from the reality students face when they leave the classroom. Same thing with healthcare. Children's Hospital has nine clinics set up in our schools. A lot of people don't realize that because you have to have education, you have to have financial stability, you have to have access to healthcare, you have to have stable housing. And that's, you know, we have our Promise Neighborhood, Choice Neighborhood Partnership in West Lawn, mm-hmm. the Housing Authority and the, uh, the City of Milwaukee. And it's a, a Carmen is one of our charter schools. And then we have Browning and Kluge and Kilbourne. But that's all about building neighborhoods and really helping to stabilize families. What role did Dr. Driver's parents play in providing that stable environment? And did they always promote education at home? Yes, my third generation HBCU graduate, and yes, both of my parents have post-baccalaureate degrees, but we have them because of a belief that education was going to create a better circumstance for our family, because not every day was a great day. You know, we, we definitely had ups and downs just like anyone else, but again, staying focused, my dad would always say, you got one job, and that's to get your education, um, and, and that's where... You know, I just I I think all of those other pieces do have to be in place, but that's where, as a superintendent, I have the ability mm-hmm. to partner with every agency in the city to say, you know, our kids have to have all of these different factors. I just think we have such a gift as educators to really force those conversations. Yeah. I would say where we have fallen short is including our families. Mm-hmm better including our families. And so how do we create that classroom atmosphere at home? Uh, How do we make sure that learning is happening outside of that, uh, outside of the schools? How do we build better relationships and and build trust, uh, you know, with our families? Uh, We forget sometimes that schools have not worked for everyone um, and that we have let people down in the past. And so we're asking some of those same folks then to come and, you know, volunteer and to work side by side with teachers. And so Uh, where I think we have a lot of work to do is building better relationships with families. I think 
infrastructure-wise, institution-wise, we've come a long way, but now really is that person-to-person connection with our young people and their families. Both Ben and I worked at College Possible. We have a huge mm-hmm. emphasis on just that, family yeah. engagement. Mm-hmm. So I saw firsthand how powerful that was, especially because it doesn't change in a day. Yeah. Sometimes you reach out to a parent and it wouldn't be the best relationship, but over the course of two years when we were with the students, by the end, I like the parents more than yeah. the kids sometimes. <laughs> I, have, I had a parent just yeah. uh, two weeks ago call me, yeah. uh, even though I haven't worked with her student in, in months. Mm-hmm. and was like, hey, she's having a hard time at school. Could you mm-hmm. meet up with her and, and kind of give her a pep talk? Oh, wow. Yeah, those family relationships are yeah. It's everything. Yeah. yeah, and that's what I remember most being a teacher. I mean, had folks on speed dial, people you could always come up, count on to come, and just sit in a classroom with you or help you when it's a party or a celebration or a presentation. And then you have those times when you did need that backup support, when our you know students are having bad days, but you have that relationship, so you don't have to suspend, you don't have to admonish, you know, you just working side by side, you can help the child get in a better place. So Dr. Driver does have us convinced she won't be running for president, but we still wanted her views on what policies from the national, state, and local level would benefit MPS and its students. So right now, all of our secondary schools start before Labor Day, and they're ending right at Memorial Day. I really wish we had a policy that could help us with June and July. We call it our J-term, but I I really do think that every child deserves the opportunity to be in an apprenticeship or an internship, and that should be part of the the regular school day, because it's easy to say we need stronger policies on suspensions or attendance, but that's not going to get, I mean, kids need to be engaged. They want to have fun when they go to school. School's supposed to be fun. Uh, So I, I think helping us build that infrastructure could really be a game changer. Right now, uh, we have learning journeys that are set up by grade level. So third graders go to the public museum, fourth graders go to the discovery world, eighth graders go to junior achievement. But I really do want to get to the place with our high schoolers um, as we're um, making changes to graduation policies. uh, They lose a lot of the elective time. And I'm struggling with how can I get more elective time for the students, but still make sure that they take two years of world language, still take an AP course and a CTE course, and then really getting to the place where we've eliminated remediation needs Mm -hmm. be a dream uh, to be able to do that. So remediation and and taking uh, remedial classes is a big challenge a lot of young people coming from underserved schools face, this constant challenge of colleges wanting to be more accessible for, for students from those backgrounds. However, when the student arrives on campus, they also need to be academically ready and prepared. A lot of students have to take courses at the college level that don't count toward any real college credit. A lot of time and money is spent by students on remedial courses. There are many times when I wish that we could mandate a 13th grade where we help students in that freshman year of college. We have so many students that will go and then for a number of different reasons, they have to discontinue. It's funny, when I started as superintendent, that was 2014, I would always say, oh, by 2018, 63% of all jobs are going to require post-secondary education. That's next month. So So it's now, right, that we really need that for our young people. And I would say the the last one, I, we really do need some stronger policies. I don't, I just don't know what it would look like, but just to help with the relationships with families mm-hmm. and being able to ensure better attendance 
uh, and participation, but it goes both ways. So it's not just bring your child here and you have to volunteer, but it's also, I will also do home visits. Um, you yeah. know, I will also commit to contacting you on, you know, for positive, you know, um, reasons as well. And so taking some notes from my, you know, colleagues from College Possible yeah. City or, yeah. uh, but, but those are some of the things that I, I think big picture wise could really help us. I don't think we've talked with any of our uh, guests about okay. this. English language learners. Yes. You mentioned kind of in your beginning uh, monologue about regardless of the, the language you speak, mm-hmm. you should have a right to a high quality education. Yes. What is MPS doing to ensure uh, students, you know, refugees from Southeast Asia, mm-hmm. uh, parts of Africa, mm-hmm. when they're coming to Milwaukee, in terms of policy at the, mm-hmm. at the higher level, mm-hmm. what is MPS doing mm-hmm. to ensure uh, quality education for English language learners. So let me take one step back and just say that I believe, and and this is something we espouse as a district, that diversity really is our greatest strength. Uh, It is unfortunate that we are living in a time uh, where we have leadership at the national level that is saying that it isn't, but it absolutely is a strength. And so we pride ourselves on the fact that our doors are open to all. Uh, And we think that the best education we could possibly provide for our young people outside of any textbooks is just the the beauty and the freedom that comes with being able to express yourselves with confidence and with pride and and really with that deep knowledge of self that is necessary to be successful. And to me, supersedes any label that you could possibly put on a child. So... When we think specifically about the supports for our English language learners, so our school board and I passed a resolution called our Safe Haven Resolution that really helped to enforce um, Plyler versus Doe, the 1982 Supreme Court ruling that said that students um, of undocumented families were guaranteed public education. And so that helped us with better informing staff, making sure that it was very clear that we weren't going to be turning over the names of our undocumented students to any entity. And of course, we received quite a bit of pushback from that. And, and it's definitely still, you know, very contentious, but we felt it was very necessary that also there are a number of different safety, I guess, regulations the best way to say it for other areas like bus stops and churches and things that people may may not even be aware of that come from the Department of Homeland Security that people should be aware of. So we're very proud of that. A community school is a microcosm of the cities they exist within. The growing diversity of America and by extension Milwaukee should be embraced and taught so that future generations are able to flourish in any environment. We need to embrace diversity at the school level. On a day-to-day basis in our schools, one of the things that we're trying to help really reframe the conversation around the importance of being prepared for a global society, what does it mean to be an international learner? Uh, We now have the United Nations at a number of schools. I think we're up to 10 schools now. Through a partnership with the uh, Greater Milwaukee Foundation, we're able to bring United Nations to 10 elementaries. And then the high schools, we still have King and School of Languages primarily that, um, that use that. But we're trying to emphasize, you know, we should know what's happening in other countries. This is something that should be celebrated. For our students that are coming to us from other countries, we have a really strong uh, team from student services, from our bilingual multicultural office that work to help families get settled, giving them all the information they need as far as housing, English as second language courses, workforce opportunities, because we know all of those pieces are necessary in order for their children to be successful. Um, And we do have a, a staff in our schools that understand the sensitivity 
uh, that comes with this, but also understand that it doesn't mean that you pity people. You can still empower them regardless of their situations. So how does the superintendent find balance between different types of schools in Milwaukee, competing interests, and the socioeconomic backdrop of the city to get the results students deserve? What I always try to lead with, you know, when you leave with data, that changes a lot of conversations. So, and I think the results change conversations. So, uh, you know, if you look at where we are as a city, and Milwaukee, unfortunately, is at the bottom of a number of lists. We have the worst achievement gaps among um, black and white students in the whole country. Wisconsin has the worst achievement gaps in the whole country. And there are a number of different studies that have pointed that out. The Casey Foundation, even DPI had a report that, that stated that. So literally, Wisconsin was the worst state for African Americans under all of these different indicators. And when you look at what has happened with the ecosystem of education here, you know, our, our third grade reading is still below 20%. And we've had 25 years of a choice program. And, you know, we have three or four charter authorizers. And you still have a public system that has the majority of the students. And every system has strong schools. Every system has struggling schools. And we have yet to figure out how we can st sort of rise to the top and, and bringing along all of these different um, schools Quite frankly, I think because people have put way too much energy on what sector it was as opposed to the results. And so I am pleased now. I, I feel we've made a lot of progress through Milwaukee Succeeds. I think there have also just been some really blunt, direct, uh, necessary conversations happening with where we are as a city in terms of you know, we want to be in a different place. The only way we're going to do that is if we're able to tear down, you know, some of these walls that we've built up over time and figure out how we're going to improve. I want us out of this, you know, choice public charter. I yeah. want us to just talk about how we're going to build a better education system. Dr. Driver's vision for MPS has required partnerships across the city, two of which are Milwaukee Succeeds and the MPS Foundation. And I wrote down Danae Davis because... Uh, with the Trinity Fellowship, we have uh, like local leaders and nonprofits mm -hmm. come in yeah. and speak to us. Yeah. And she came in, um, and she was fantastic. And Milwaukee Succeed seemed like a really strong organization. Mm -hmm. She's built it. She's really, I think, taken on a, a, a very difficult task of bringing together public-private in our city uh, around education and mm -hmm. taking people with very different philosophical beliefs and ideals around the best way to educate children and keeping everyone focused on what matters most. Uh, that's making sure our young people are yeah. successful. She's great. Yeah, and then another Trinity Fellow, our friend Ashley, works oh, for the MPS okay. Foundation, yeah. um, so uh, yep. Ms. Terrell is her mm -hmm. uh, mentor mm -hmm. and yeah. supervisor, so yeah. it's been cool to see the different um, arms and aspects mm -hmm. of MPS, and yeah. uh, the MPS Foundation I know gave like three scholarships to my students. Yeah, so they like, gave, yeah. I, one of my students got a scholarship, oh, yeah. Good. So, yeah, yeah we really reconstituted the foundation almost four years ago, so Yeah, no, I I'm think it's happy. a very important step. Yeah, it was started in 1997, and so it, it's it's been here, but just not at the level we really wanted yeah. it. Um, and so, um, yeah, I'm really proud of, and again, that's the community coming in. We had alumni coming from all corners of the city uh, to try to help us get this foundation back up and running. A number of the local foundations um, stepped to the plate, uh, you know, to, to help us really get this moving, so we're very fortunate. After all this great information, we wanted to know, what can we do with this? What action steps can an average citizen take to help strengthen Milwaukee public schools? 
So, you know, one of the things I always say is you can show people better than you can tell them. Mm-hmm. And so I, I always want people in our community to know that our doors are open. Uh, we welcome everyone to come and see the great things that our kids are doing every day. Um, you can come as a volunteer. You can adopt a school. You can serve um, as a, a, a youth apprentice a mentor. Uh, to help our students succeed. It really is going to take everyone. This isn't something uh, that we can do as a district in isolation. And so uh, right now we have 250 slots uh, for our youth apprenticeship program and we filled 50. We have 300 applications on file. So we have the students and we do have more and more businesses that are coming. I think we have like 90 businesses now that have reached out to us. Uh, And so that process is moving along, uh, but we still need more hands on deck. Uh, to help us uh, really grow this program. And it's been a great partnership with the Department of Workforce Development uh, from the state. And so uh, that's really a a key area where we need support. Uh, But this is also Year of the Arts uh, for Milwaukee Public Schools. And we're uh, very excited about uh, the great things that have been happening in the schools. Uh, And again, we still need the support. Unfortunately, our art and music programs um, have suffered significant losses over time. Uh, And I'm a band kid. I was a music kid. You know, my parents still sing. My sister sings. So music lives in our family. And so, you know, we talk about education. I didn't include that, but that is clearly um, a strong part of of that. And so we want all of our students to benefit uh, from arts education in the schools. Um, And of course, our enrollment fair is coming up on February 3rd. So um, we welcome um, all of our kindergarten, uh, three-year-old, four-year-old, five-year-old kindergarten families. And of course, um, our, our children all the way up through high school uh, to come uh, and see what's happening in MPS. Um, I think the last thing that I always say is that we are um, a district that is on the rise and uh, we are truly uh, blessed to have such wonderful students uh, who have unlimited potential and more than anything, they just need people to believe in them and for all of us to come together um, in the spirit of making Milwaukee a better place. Well, I will say in our dozen or so conversations, your name has always come up as somebody who's been a driving force in making that progress happen. So I appreciate that. No. Thank you. And you all keep up the good work and well, doing what you do for our kids and get that master's done. I'm real happy to hear that. Stay, <laughs> stay in Milwaukee. Yes, yeah. I was going to say, I was, I was trying to reach for you. Know? Like, <laughs> yep. Come back to us. <laughs> tell a lot about someone by listening to what their peers have to say about them. And in every single interview we did regarding education, Dr. Driver's name came up in an extremely positive light. After Bridge the City had an opportunity to interview her, I now see why they use such positive words. The superintendent had energy and enthusiasm and exuberance that you could tell when she started talking about the students and the schools of MPS. She also has such a broad scope of what schools need to be in order for our students and cities to be successful. Viewing schools as anchors of a city, viewing schools as a place where positive social change happens every single day, and viewing schools as strong partners to other important organizations in and around the city is critical if we are to strengthen our youth. I really want to emphasize her action steps. This is Bridge the City. It's an action-oriented podcast, so go get involved. Visit a school, help tutor, Volunteer at organizations that are in schools every day. 
Personally, I worked for College Possible for two years as an AmeriCorps member, and I was in a high school four days a week, and it was one of the most rewarding, positive experiences of my life. The future of our city is our youth, and in order for Milwaukee to become the best city it can be, its students must view the city as one that they want to stay in and participate in, and I'm glad we have Dr. Driver leading that charge. Our conversation with Dr. Driver has forced me to look at institutions and their role in a thriving society. As a country, the United States is only as strong as its institution, and so Milwaukee is only as strong as its schools. As we see development happening downtown and throughout the community, it is important to assess how these changes are improving the quality of our institutions as a city. Dr. Driver's passion and enthusiasm is at the root of her success as MPS superintendent, but her idealism and beliefs are not unique in MPS. I encourage you to visit the schools and meet the administrators and teachers who have dedicated their lives to educating our next generation of citizens. Meet the students whose creativity and intelligence will undoubtedly inspire you. But most of all, I encourage you to confront the stereotypes of MPS with personal action and do what you can to bridge together a successful school district and the city of Milwaukee. So thank you for listening. Yeah, thank you so much, everyone. We wanted to give a special thanks to Ann Terrell and Ashley Benson at the MPS Foundation for helping us secure this interview with Dr. Driver. We also want to give a shout out to Milwaukee Public Schools, Robin Pitts, Ryan Flynn at Inverted Triangle Design, and Casey Masters for our new intro music. Remember that this is a podcast of action, so we hope that you are inspired to make change in your community after listening. We live by the motto, sound bites aren't solutions. So reach out to us on Instagram at Bridges City Podcast, our website at bridgescitypodcast.squarespace.com, and or email us at bridgescitypodcast at gmail.com. And most of all, let us know how you are helping Bridges City. We'll see you next time. Bridges City, whoa.